Exercise and physical therapy are commonly touted as keys to preventing an array of conditions such as heart attack, depression, cancer, and more. How does the equation for exercise change once a patient is diagnosed with an illness? And how does a patient's perspective on their disease impact their outlook on exercise? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon, and our guest is Dr. Marilyn Moffat, Professor of Physical Therapy at New York University. Dr. Moffat has been in private practice for more than 40 years. She is an accomplished author across a broad range of topics in physical therapy and an internationally respected voice in physical therapy. Welcome, Dr. Moffat. Thank you, Mark. It's my pleasure to be with you. We are discussing the challenge of exercise for patients coping with illness. Dr. Moffat, tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get started in physical therapy? That's an interesting story. I actually worked with my father's firm in Wall Street. (laughs) And then as opportunities for women in those days were a little bit restricted, I then decided that well, physical therapy sounded like a great career and started, went back to postgraduate education at New York University and have been practicing ever since and never have been unhappy that I made the decision. And how did you get so interested and focus your work so much in exercise and, and such a proactive approach in physical therapy? I came from a physical education background, as many of my generation did who went into physical therapy. So for me, it was just always a major, probably, intervention that I had used in all of my practice arenas. And certainly as our populations got older and as I got older, too, I certainly began to totally, totally realize how important it was for people to begin to speak out in a major way about the importance of exercise in multiple, multiple arenas. Now, you make an interesting statement about yourself and your faculty profile. You said that someone once told you that physical therapists are a personality type. You want to comment on that? Well, I think that it probably is sort of true. I hate to stereotype anybody, but I think we all tend to be cheerleaders and we all tend to have an incredible desire to help to see our patients and clients reach more functional and fit lives. And so it's just that whole health, wellness, fitness arena is just a natural outgrowth of what we've been doing in physical therapy practice for many years. Well, talking about exercise, what diseases, in your opinion, benefit most from improved exercise? Probably, I can't think of almost a one that doesn't. I mean, if we look at all the cardiovascular pulmonary disorders, certainly congestive heart failure, hypertension, intermittent claudications, stroke, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease in terms of both the traditional emphysema and chronic bronchitis, but also adult cystic fibrosis, asthma. I mean, all of those conditions have certainly been shown to have major, major positive results from exercise intervention. Then if you look at your endocrine disorders like diabetes, again, the data are so strong that exercise is extremely important. If you look at some of the other things like frailty, that certainly is best managed through exercises. And then if you look at your musculoskeletal disorders, your osteoarthritis, your low bone mass osteoporosis, your rheumatoid arthritis, total hips, total knees, urinary incontinence, all of these, again, have major, major effects from a good solid exercise program. 
And then if you get into all of your neuromuscular disorders, I mean, from things as simple as risk of falls to all of your other major disorders like multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's, the data are showing the stronger the exercise interventions in these patients, again, making sure that you pay attention to any of the possible negative effects, the better they're going to be. And even now the data are coming out more and more showing the importance of exercise in mental deterioration and in individuals, again, with increasing cognitive problems. We all know people who exercise a lot and runners, one aspect of exercise, get that high from the endorphins. Is this applicable in patients with disease as well? I think it can be. I mean, it depends on how much they can push themselves and how much, again, they can get into that sort of endorphin release activity. But they also can benefit from just the fact of seeing their bodies get physically better and they're being capable of doing more. I mean, to take somebody who is obese and get them on an exercise program and also a weight-controlling program. And to see them be able to do more and more physical activity is usually a great boost for them. You know, taking somebody who's extremely frail, who's unable to stand up from a chair by themselves and get them to the point where they can do that can be such a motivating device for them. So I think when they can see positive changes, it makes it a lot easier to get individuals to exercise on a regular basis. And those physical changes are complemented, as you mentioned, by feeling more self-worth, better interpersonal contact, the social aspects of exercise, yes? Absolutely. And what I try in many of my patients and clients is get them to exercise with friends or in groups or after I give them the guidelines, I'll want them to try and get into exercise classes because oftentimes the group camaraderie and the socialization aspect is extremely important to keep them motivated and going on a regular basis. And can you do these exercises at home as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I try whenever possible to make sure that all of my patients and clients can manage their exercises by themselves without equipment and without facilities in their home environment because I don't want any excuses not to do them. You know, I don't want somebody to say, well, I don't have an access to a gym or I can't get to the gym or I can't do this or I can't do that. I always want to make sure that there's a way they're going to get it done. If you have just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Marilyn Moffat, professor of physical therapy at New York University and an internationally respected expert in physical therapy. We are discussing the challenge of exercise for patients coping with illness. Dr. Moffat, how much of this is getting patients to work beyond the boundaries of what they think they can tolerate? As I mentioned earlier, the overload principle is something that we want to impose on our patients very slowly and gradually, obviously, the older or the sicker they are. But the principle of overload remains the same in that in order for the body to get better, in whatever parameter of fitness you're looking at, it's got to be overloaded again, sanely and sensibly and sequentially. And once they begin to realize that they can do more, often they get excited by the fact that they are doing more. I mean, I'm always amazed. I hate one-pound weights and I hate yellow therabands because they don't tax people enough. And I hate those ridiculous walkers with tennis balls on them because, again, they just slow a patient's gait down. I'd much rather see rolling carts because then they can keep up their gait speed and they don't have to slow down. And if they get tired, they can sit on it. I mean, if somebody goes to a grocery store and has to carry a package home, I would be willing to bet that very rarely is that package less than five pounds. In fact, the data show that the average package is 6.7 pounds. So why do we use one-pound weights? 
I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So that's the kind of overload that, you know, we've got to begin to put into all of our exercise programs. And, again, it's a science. It's not, you know, certainly something that's done on a fly-by-night basis, but most people are capable of doing much more than they think they can do. Is there a consensus on these concepts throughout the United States and physical therapists that this is the best way to do it, uh, best practice? The data are there to support it, so very definitely. Well, now, I've noticed in your work you emphasize balance. How important is balance, not just for, obviously, athletes, but for anyone who exercises, particularly someone who has an illness? Balance is extremely important. One of the things that we know is that falls are a major, major problem in the country. All we need to look at is the numbers of falls that occur with our increasingly elderly population and the dollars and cents that it costs our government to, again, take care of the results of those falls. So, to me, balance should be incorporated into everybody's exercise program from as early on as they can possibly do it. And I'm talking about late 30s, 40s, 50s, people should be doing balance work on a regular basis. And the nice thing about balance activities, I mean, you can build it into your daily activities. When I'm brushing my teeth in the morning, I'm standing on the toes of one foot, alternating it. So I'm stressing the strength of my ankles and my balance mechanisms. When I walk down the hall in my office here, one time I walk on my toes, the next time I walk on my heels, the next time I do a tandem walk where I put one foot directly in front of the other so that I can build it into my normal day without, again, it taking more time, and yet it's still taxing my balance mechanism throughout the day. You are certainly very, very well disciplined. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot, Dr. Moffat, and ask you to think about perhaps one of your patients where they had a serious illness, and when you got them involved into a regular exercise program, they really began to make great progress. Can you give us an example of uh, one of those patients? Well, probably the easiest examples I can give you are two of the individuals that I've had in their 90s. One of my patients had the most unbelievably awful spine. I mean, not only did she have degenerative joint disease and major scoliosis, spinal stenosis, you name it, she had it in that spine. And she started exercising basically in her 80s, late 80s, again, struggling initially to get up from the chair, struggling to get to the bathroom at night, and with a solid progressive exercise program of strengthening, endurance work, balance, posture, and some flexibility, she is now going to the theater and the movies and out for dinner and leading a very nice life. I mean, I haven't made major changes in her spinal condition in terms of the orthopedic condition, but... The muscles surrounding her spine are stronger, her posture is a little better, her balance is better, so quality of life and her ability, again, to do the kinds of things that she likes has obviously increased over time. Just how successful is your program regimen? I'm one that sort of says to my patients and clients, see you once, and if you do what I tell you to do, I'll see you the second time, but if you come back the second time and you haven't done it, I look at it as, you know, they're wasting my time and their money. My time at this point is extraordinarily important to me because I, as you know, not only do I teach full-time, but I practice between 15 and 18 hours a week, and I'm also currently president of the World Confederation for Physical Therapy. So if the patients and clients are not going to listen to me, it's just not worth my time. I'll work as hard as I can to try and alter their frame of mind and get them on an exercise program, and I'd say probably 90-plus percent of the time I do that. Well, Dr. Moffat, let me put you on the spot one more time. Are clinicians like myself and the listeners here, are we utilizing these expert services of physical therapists enough, or are we really not using them as much as we should be? Well, from what I've seen in practice, not nearly as much as we should 
partially due to our whole healthcare system in this day and age. I mean, physicians have so little time to spend with patients nowadays, and it's due to multiple factors. I mean, I think it's due to the reimbursement mechanism. It's due to the lack of general practitioners and the lack of geriatricians and the lack of, again, um, primary care physicians in this country. And the specialists don't have the time to spend, again, looking at almost that total body person. So, I mean, I would make a plea that when they see individuals who are deconditioned or, again, not at the stage where they're doing what they should be doing at their ages, and even with the diseases and disorders that they should think of getting them on a good exercise program. And again, the perfect person to help do that is the physical therapist. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Marilyn Moffat. We've been discussing the challenge of exercise for patients coping with illness. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.